Hey, Nikki. Hey, Selena. And hello, Sweet Tea and TV listeners. Sweet Teas. Hey, guys. Hey, (laughs) y'all. Again, it's been no time for you and lots of time for us, so. Yeah, I was just telling Selena I feel really off kilter this week because it's been, it's been a lot of weeks. So we hope it's a great listen for you (laughs) as we try and remember how to do a podcast. As if we knew one in the first place. Oh, yeah. We're still learning on our feet. Right. So thanks for jo- joining us. Sorry about that. Um, well, we took a break, just so everyone knows, because, um, well, we're tired and we both needed vacations. It's been too long. Yeah. This vacation, vacation. Yeah. The vacation I just went on was the first one I'd had since the same time last summer. That's, that is way too long. It's too long. There's no, there's no joy in that. There's no honor in that. Just take a vacation. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah, you got to. So um, you took one, and then I took one uh, in true vacation uh, fashion. We did not go on vacation together. We did not. We went on different weeks. One day. (laughs) (laughs) You plan it on there. Just don't make me plan it. I know. Well, we're you're you're a planner. I'm a planner. But I will say I've got some friends who step up to the plate and do a lot of planning. So. Um, thank you, Alyssa. And I'm going to step back and also say, um, tell me about your vacation. Cause this is really honestly the first time that we've gotten to sit down today. We did talk before this started, um, yeah. but I made you not tell me about your vacation. So tell me about it. I just feel silly talking about mine. Cause mine was way less uh, blah, 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 than yours was. And that's my word. Like I'm trying to say fancy mine. I went to Florida. You know, I have I have a deep appreciation for Florida, even though sometimes it sounds like I don't. Um, I do. I, and so we go every year with Kyle's family. I think I mentioned that maybe in our Florida Memories episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went on the family trip. Uh, it was, I told Selena, the best version of this trip that we've been on with our kids. Because every year they get a little bit older, a little bit more self-sufficient. It feels a little bit more like a vacation. Um, we stay with my in-laws and so the kids get grandparent time and we get to like run out and have dinner together or, you know, what, and even the kids going to dinner with us is still fun at this age. So, um, it's good. I think the, the best part of the trip we did, um, we chartered a boat with a captain this year. So we've been doing this thing where we rent a boat while we're there, a pontoon boat, and we go out with a family and Kyle, he drives the boat, but he always feels a little bit nervous. Like he always feels like he's, it's a huge responsibility. Mm-hmm. You're out, um, you don't go out in the Gulf, you go in this Bay area, but a lot of people are renting boats. A lot of people who know nothing about boats, don't know how to drive a boat. They're being irresponsible. Mm-hmm. So he feels like he has this real responsibility to protect everybody. So Not this, really relaxing. It, not relaxing. Mm-hmm. Um, my big dream, every year we've gone out on this trip is I really want to see a dolphin and we've done it I think three times and haven't seen a dolphin so this year I decided let's do something different let's go with one of the charter companies and have like a professional captain take us out Um, it's actually not that expensive to have just a private boat to yourself. Um, so we went with us and our kids and then my sister-in-law and my niece went with us and he took us right out where the Gulf and the Bay meet, which is like a really big feeding area for the dolphin. And Mm. we saw so many, like dozens. Um, so we saw a ton of dolphin. We got to snorkel a little bit. He took us to a sandbar where you can snorkel for sand dollars. We had a sand dollar competition to see who could find the most. Hmm. Um, my niece won. Um, you going to recover? 
I didn't find it was it was rough, and I was like <laughs> scrambling at the end to find any because I didn't find any. You're like pushing down your own kids. It's yes. You're like out of the way. <laughs> like you guys just float right there for a second. Not, Mommy's got business. I'm trying to get something done. <laughs> so I couldn't find any, and right at the end, he was like, "Okay, we we need to go." So I snorkeled over to the side of the boat, and there were tons right there and i looked at the captain and i was like are you throwing these in for me to find because he i I think you would you would notice i was pretty upset i wasn't finding any Mm -hmm. Uh, but he said no he hadn't sometimes they just like to sort of gather right beside the boat so i found a bunch my niece found the most but um it was really fun i was trying to think what else oh and the last day we were there i was sitting on the beach uh and happened to look out in the water and we're like early beach people. So I like to go early and late because that's when the wildlife are out. So we were sitting out there pretty early and I saw this sort of shadow out in the water and I adjusted my sunglasses and I looked closer and I was like, that is totally a manta ray right there, right off the shore. Mm -hmm. So I threw my goggles on really quick because yes, I, I take goggles out and I snorkel around and I got to swim right over top of this manta ray. He was just cruising around right there. That's cool. Somebody was like, is it a stingray? And I was like, I don't, I'm not a zoologist. I don't know. It's a ray of some kind. I'm glad you didn't let your fear get to you. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a scaredy cat. So I would have wanted to see it. And I'm, so like, I'm always like, Hey, when we're on this trip, I really need to see what I like to call a substantial animal. Yes. So, and that counts as a substantial, substantial animal. animal. I'm right? glad you put it that way. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, I wasn't, I'm not scared. I will tell you, we went out one day and went out pretty far, and there was this really aggressive fish. I'm still not sure what it was. <laughs> Little or big? Little. Little. But, mm. uh, but like, he looked scary. Little I don't man know syndrome. how to, yes. I don't know how to put it, but I had been snorkeling. My sister in law was there, my niece was there, and I saw it and I said, look, I don't want to alarm you guys. It's not a shark, but I think we need to go back to the shore. This fish looks he looks something he made eye contact with me like something's uncomfortable so we're like racing back to the shore we get back to the shore and i find out i think my sister-in-law thought i said it was a shark and he was also nipping at her Oh. And so we but what we had, do you really think it was? Because it wasn't a shark, right? I, I honestly I've Googled so many Finding times. Nemo. It couldn't have been a barracuda because oh. I asked our captain actually, someone was like, That's a barracuda while we were out they snorkeling. Like the sand, don't they? They do. Yeah. Um, but it was it was long, it kind of had a pointy nose. Swordfish? No, not that pointy. Um, it, it was a little, it was a little sharkish, but it was small and it just didn't seem like a shark, but it, I mean, it made eye contact with me. Something was happening. discovered a new animal? I, maybe I did because I have tried Googling relentlessly and I can't, and now as time goes on, I'm forgetting what it looked like, but it was, I mean, it was not a tiny fish. It's not like this big. It was more like this big. Something was going on with that fish. I don't think anybody knows what you just did. A foot. Oh, yeah. Sorry. It was probably like a foot. Close to a foot. Yeah. So I don't, my sister-in-law and niece probably will never swim with me again because she was like, you said it was a shark. And I was like, I I didn't say shark. I said, it's not a shark. She's like, you just don't say shark. So I was telling Kyle later thinking he would take my side and he goes, it's like saying bomb on an airplane. You just don't say bomb on an airplane, even if you're saying it's not a bomb. (sighs) Whatever. That's tough. The last most interesting thing that almost happened on Mm -hmm. this trip um, we were driving through Auburn to come home and I almost got to make a stop at a brand new Bucky's. They're but not it, open yet. They're not open yet. Oh, I'm sorry. It was, it was rough. That was a real letdown. It was a real letdown. It really was. I'm so sorry. So it was, it was a run of the mill Florida trip that was very necessary and we had fun with our kids and it was nothing like your vacation. 
Are you going to tell us? No, I'm like, I feel like you're queuing me up for something I may not be able to deliver on. So, um, I, uh, and a group of friends, um, just me and them, uh, we went to Ireland, um, for two weeks because my best friend, Ashley and, um, well, Peter, I would, I would like to consider Peter a friend now as well, but, um, and her fiance got married. So you've said Ireland and you've said best friend getting married. I feel like that just three upped my trip. So you did it. You're welcome. You were successful. Well, that is not my intention. Um, I was her matron of honor. I do not like that title. Sounds old. (laughs) You were the old maid of honor. Yeah. I I was her old lady, I think. (laughs) Um, That's fine. Um, But it was, uh, I mean, it's Ireland. It's gorgeous. We were, she got married in Kinsale, I believe this is in Western Ireland, um, and uh, it's about four hours outside of Dublin, if that's helpful for you. Um, is that... Never been to Ireland means nothing <laughs> it's, to me. It's, just, it's in the southern part. <laughs> um, so I was still in the south. <laughs> Everywhere you go, there you are. <laughs> there you are. Um, and so it's, it was like in a bay area. Oh. And just beautiful. There's just all of these sail sailboats out in the water. Um, and, you know, the hotel where they got married, um, the Trident, <laughs> in case you guys want to get in on this other podcast. Um, anyways, uh, the hotel was beautiful. Uh, I mean, it was, I, I got an opportunity to see some of Ashley's family that I hadn't seen in a really long time. And um, in particular, her baby brother got to come. He has three kids. Uh, but anyways, like, uh, just to see the, um, human being he's become, I hadn't seen him since he was like 16. Oh, wow. I don't, I don't think so. Um, and so seeing him grown up and that was amazing. And being with her family who just has so much love for her was amazing. Being with my best friend and several of my best friends was so amazing. And then, um, it was a beautiful wedding. Uh, the term, uh, tying the knot actually comes from mm. Irish traditions mm-hmm. and they, uh, the officiant literally tied them together at the front in a very beautiful and not weird way, um, with like this beautiful ribbon and, um, the ceremonies very different than an American ceremony. I'm trying to remember if you mentioned that her Mm. husband is Irish. He's Irish. Yeah. So you've got a real taste of true tradition. Right. But they they didn't get married in the Catholic church, um, which would have been like the most traditional. Um, but we did get like, uh, the ceremonies just like, okay. So for instance, the way that we have a rehearsal dinner, they don't do that. So they just kind of tell you before you're going down the aisle, here's the things that you need to do. I, which I think it's fine. It's not rocket science. You don't really need to do anything. It's right? not that complicated. But for the first time in my life as a bridesmaid, I got to sit down. And that was amazing. Oh, wow. So all the focus is on them, which I think actually makes a lot of sense. Sure. But then they did call me up because, so myself and the best man who is Peter's brother, like we came up and we signed some documents right up there at the front as their witnesses. Um, And so they do all of that in front. Super official. Yeah, like royalty is what kind of looked like, like they were signing a decree or something. I'm going to need to read this. Just give me a moment before I sign. (laughs) Right. I know. Can you imagine if I had done that? I (laughs) actually pulled out like reading glasses, like the true matron of (laughs) honor. Just like, hold I'm going to need to call my lawyer. Hold, right. please. I did tell her because they, like, the efficient said something about, 
like, and Peter is her best friend. And we all did, like, we all looked at each other. Uh, hold up. <laughs> One of many. I know. I was like, you're lucky I'm who I am because I wanted to go boom, <laughs> which by the way, I know she, it would have been hard for her to not have done that at my wedding, <laughs> which she was also in my wedding. So, um, but anyways, it, it was beautiful. And then we all went down and, uh, to a beach house, um, in, uh, Connemara and we got to spend some time down there and that was beautiful too. And if you would have told me like somewhere in Ireland, next to the castles that dot the land that's like green emeralds everywhere you look there's also caribbean waters um the way oh. they look like that's how blue they are yeah a little colder yeah. um i would have been like nah that's not true but it is true i couldn't believe how beautiful the water was i oh, couldn't wow. believe how it, it had more of like um off Massachusetts mm -hmm. coast kind of vibe, um, but just absolutely um, gorgeous. And so I just want to take this opportunity to say um, to Ashley and Peter just how much I um, love and adore them, um, how happy I am for them, and how uh, grateful I am to have taken part in such a beautiful trip. Oh, so. that's nice. Uh, and congratulations. Uh, yeah, hey, hey, yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Uh, and best wishes to the bride. I always get that wrong. I, I can't remember. Does it matter? Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, traditions. Yeah. All right. Um, so, anyways, that was pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, what? You want to talk about the episode? I guess. It's kind of like we we kind of want to stay on vacation, but here we I are. I know. I know. We're back to work now. Back, back to, to work, life. Selena. Back to reality. Back to life. So this episode is uh, season three, episode ten. Mr. Bailey. Sugar Bakers has had numerous clients who could kindly be termed eccentric, but their latest is the cat's meow, says Hulu. Uh, the air date on this one was January 23rd, 1989. Uh, we're going to call this one the Million Dollar Cat Mansion. Uh, it was written by LBT and Pamela Norris and directed by David Trainer. So you want to jump into some general reactions slash stray observations? Sure, absolutely. Um, I should probably also say one thing is I got sick. So <laughs> if I start having a coughing attack, we're going to try our, Nikki's going to try and cut it out or we might leave it in uh, for the most uh, beautiful experience that you can have. But all I'll say is bear with me because I don't know how my voice is going to hold up. It's going to yeah. be super beautiful by the end. So I apologize. At this point, you sound way better sick than I did when I was listening to the first couple of episodes this season and I was coming off a of sickness and I just sounded terrible. So you sound great so far. Thank you. So uh, I guess my first general reaction is I found the setup for this one to be weird. Oh, so, okay. Um, so here's my thing. Why would you assume as sugar bakers that you'd be decorating the house for the heir of your client who died or that they'd even be keeping the house or interested in your services? That was kind of like oh, okay. the jumping off point for this one. Oh. I, I think they're trying to make it make sense with this whole, this, you know, like uh, her name was Mrs. Carver Whitehead. This is my last wish kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But like what? I'm expected to believe that she is laying on her deathbed with Julia at her side. And she's like, oh, Julia, whatever you do, whatever happens, promise me. Promise me you'll decorate the house 
Like, it's just, it's silliness. Like, I would just assume that this was a wrap mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. weren't doing that anymore. So uh, that lost me. Okay. That makes sense. How about you? Uh, so I think one of my general reactions How to How realistic episode, it all was? <laughs> that did not bother me at all. And I'm uh-huh. mentally parsing through what that says about me. I sometimes... I, I liked this episode, uh, so I put that to the side. What I was going to say is I've been super down on Julia lately. It's just my general vibe toward Julia is uh-huh. I'm super down on her. Uh, I really liked that she took this fight upon herself. Mm-hmm. I like that she really – she has a good sense of justice and a, a desire for justice, and I feel like this was well-placed um, because she said, Mary Jo, this is no longer about giving a cat money. This is about the right to live your life the way you choose and not have your money stolen after you're dead. And all mm. I thought was, amen. Mm-hmm. So good for Julia. Hey, I like I that point her in too. this episode. Yeah. I think that's, uh, if you're going from that route, I'm into it. Yeah. It's more like that we just, it took, it's one of those things again, where I feel like we're being forced to get to the next place. And, yeah. um, and so the plot feels a little contrived in the beginning, but we're also talking about a cat who inherits a house. So, whatever and so what i was what i was gonna say a minute ago is that um i can talk out of both sides of my mouth on this sort of thing because on the one hand sometimes the more eccentric the episode the more i enjoy it especially with this show it's just so silly and so like at this point in my life i enjoy that i like to put reality aside and just think about silliness sure and then on the other hand sometimes though if i don't like the episode i really hold it against it and i really dig deep on it and i'm like and furthermore how inaccurate is this so, well, I, I could watch it. Opinion matters. I could watch it in two years and it'd be completely different. I guess that's yeah. the point of doing something like whatever it is that we're doing right now. It's very subjective. Yeah. I, I will say that for me, I don't know if this hit you at all, but a dusty thing, this is my second general reaction, is that this uh, idea of the eccentric pet owner, quote unquote. First, it was a story about Mary Jo's uncle who died and left her money. He used to always take his dog with him to the family reunions. And this is sort of set up as like, this is what makes Uncle Do kind of strange, you know? Oh, right. I had forgotten about that. Then we get in this episode. So we have uh, the client who passed away, Evelyn and her cat, uh, which the whole episode is based on. And then stories about Charlene's neighbor who used to dress her dog up on the front porch have a tea service and feed them cakes and pies and cookies. Uh, But, you know, I think so much has shifted culturally with pet owners and their, and animals in the last 30 years that when it comes to their relationships, like something like this kind of has lost its shine for me because Mm. they're like trying to use that to paint them as eccentric, but I would just call that fairly normal behavior. Mm. Um, like okay, adoption days, totally uh, something that you see people have all the time for their pets. Birthdays, mm-hmm. other celebrations with their pets, including decorations, party hats, and pet-approved cakes. Sure, yeah, we make Jackson a cake every year. Mm-hmm. Puppuccinos, all these sure, kinds correct. of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. If there's any kitty chinos, but we'll leave that between cat owners and their cats. <laughs> um, people dress them up at the bare minimum for Halloween, regularly mm-hmm. put them on special diets and regimens and take them just about everywhere. Some jobs, I believe, including your husband's, if he was to go into the office, mm-hmm. even allow pets in the office. Um, I've even seen a little cute summer camp for them, like going out into North Carolina somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. 
It lo- I was with you until it the did, summer camp. It did look kind of cute, actually. Summer camps are so expensive. Well, I didn't say I would do it. <laughs> I just said it was cute. Um, and then uh, what uh, this this other thing I found also that I just had to share is an insider article with 15 of the most extravagant things that people do for their pets. Can I share a couple with you? Yes. Okay. So, and then I want to hear, because I don't have a pet. Um, like well, if, that's what I want to hear if there's anything we do for Jackson or don't do. Yeah. Or like be thinking, is there anything that you think could have made this list that you all do? Okay. Okay. So I actually don't think this one is that eccentric, but I do think it's super cute. They gave their dog their own Netflix profile <laughs> so they can watch documentaries when they're not home. <laughs> That's something we did with Jackson when we first got him. Not the Netflix profile, but we would turn on Animal Planet um, and let him watch animal documentaries. I know. I'm like, I know several animals (laughs) (laughs) that like have things that they are are put on TV for them that they Mm. react better to. Yeah. You know, I just worried he got lonely all day being home by himself. Yeah. And that's a way to keep him company. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> as a remote worker. <laughs> and so that's the thing. Kyle started working from home just a couple of years after we got Jackson. And so then we didn't need it anymore because yeah. we had Kyle. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't know that I would do this one uh, or necessarily have this pet, but it sounds kind of fun. They built their hamster a Lego maze. Oh, that sounds fun. Doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I'd like to see it. I think more than do it. Sounds like a lot sure. of work. It does sound like a lot of work. I'm lazy. Um, I got bitten by a hamster, so I don't like to be around hamsters anymore. Oh. I have a hamster story. Oh. Carry on. Oh, we might have to do a hamster. It was ha- traumatic. A hamster extra sugar. I also have a traumatic hamster it's traumatic. experience. All right. Put that on the list. Listen back, Selena. Um, <laughs> one person's horse has a massage therapist. That actually almost tracks for me. Like, what if they're, like, it running depends. in a Kentucky Derby? Right. Don't they need that, maybe? Exactly. Yeah. So, I don't know, but I still liked it. Horses also require, like, a lot of grooming. I feel like horses are just high, high maintenance. maintenance. And they're not really pets. They're, like, a, a lifestyle. Sure. Yeah. A really, really expensive one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one. One pet got personalized pillow. Nope, this is an owner. Excuse me. <laughs> personalized pillows for her dog each year from an embroidery shop. And she confers with the dog. Regarding the fabric, color, and font, or uh, yeah, font choices on the pillow. Uh, incidentally, the dog is wearing earrings, a tiara, and a tutu when they come in together. This is like the shop owner who's relaying this. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People love their pets, is what People we're trying to say. Is the last one what you do? What's that for Jackson? What do you mean? Confer with him. Oh. In, whilst in his tutu and tiara. <laughs> no, absolutely yeah. not. We don't confer with Jackson. She's not passing often. judgment. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I think we don't do very much extra. Honestly, we've never really done much extravagant for Jackson. I'm, But you're raising a good point in your earlier point about like just how times have changed. I feel like we just do like even when we first had him, we had no kids. It was just the three of us. And we would take him like when I found out I was pregnant with Carolina, we took him to the ice cream place and got him uh, a Brewster's for doggies and just sat and enjoyed it on the lawn. Bad news bears. (laughs) (laughs) You're not number one anymore. Soften the blow for sure. Uh Uh, Yeah. But now we don't do very much extravagant with him. Now it's more just practical. Like I have to pick him up and put him on the bed at night because I don't want him to miss. It's hard for him to jump up. It's tall. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Well, I just thought we needed to talk about it. I I think that's great. Um, (laughs) I think that's wonderful. (laughs) Fantastic. I love it. 
I had another general reaction, but it reads a little stray. Um, so Mary Jo comes in ranting about the parking lot rules. And, okay, so she's going on about how this, like, person had tailgated her. I really thought she was talking about Suzanne. I thought there was going to be, like, a reveal <laughs> that it was Suzanne who did it. Because uh, then she, like, there was the not helping her with their bags. And I, I thought she was just going to come in and say, and Suzanne was doing it or whatever. And Suzanne was really quiet for a long time in this scene. Just surprised me. Probably because she just didn't care. Probably. Yeah. yeah. It didn't really involve her, so. But if LBT and Pamela Norris had asked me my opinion, I would have said, make it Suzanne that tailgated her in the parking lot. That would be hilarious and on brand. That would have been an amazing twist. Yes, wouldn't it? Yeah. Early in the episode. Keep yeah. us on our toes. Right. Yeah. I'll act it. I'm, I'm into that. Well, mine was, my stray, uh, I've got a couple, but Charlene's dream about a million dollar cat mansion is uh, a mink scratching post, emerald flea collars, Perrier in the cat dish, and a little bidet next to the litter box. And I got to thinking, like, if you had the money, what would you do with your house? Or would you even keep it? Would you get a new house? Oh, uh, we've talked about this mm -hmm. actually a lot uh, in the current economic environment. We like to dream of winning the lottery more than we ever have before. Um, and I think I think we're in agreement. I guess it depends on the amount of money you get. We being me and you or? No, sorry. Mm -hmm. No, not you. Me and Kyle. <laughs> Just check. The person I'd be planning my life with. Right, sorry. right, right. <laughs> right, right. Um, it depends on the amount we get. But if we got enough, uh, so like we, we're talking like in the $100 million range. Sure. We'd buy a new house, but it would still be, I don't want people to know how much money I have because then they start asking for it and mm. things get awkward. So it would be enough that you probably wouldn't know we were super wealthy. Right. You have like a little compound under the ground. Too. But I, I'm just, I, I don't know that I'm capable of fathoming that much money. So what I would want in said house is so simple and basic, I think. So like, I just want a pantry that has shelves, not wire shelves, has actual shelves. <sighs> And like actual space to put stuff. Who, why did that ever sound like a good idea? Why? Every time something slips through that stupid wire shelf, it's I so get annoying. so angry. So angry. Yeah. You can't stand, if you get the cans, the cans aren't even in the right spot. They just sort of tilt over. <laughs> and how are you supposed them. to stack? Exactly. So then you end up buying all this organizing crap that takes up so much space in there. Um, so I want a pantry. I walk in would be preferable. And I want actual shelves and I want them organized. I want a swimming pool. Mm -hmm. I would like a swimming pool big enough to swim a lap in. I would like that. Um, and what's considered a lap? Like to swim a lap. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know the exact length. Okay. But just enough that I don't like stroke my arms. You're not the wall. I stroke my arms twice and I'm at the other side. You're not looking for a dunk pool. No, right. Okay. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, I think those are the biggies. And it, like a, a movie room, somewhere to go watch a movie. Yeah. Those are my things. I love that. Yeah. What about you? Well, I don't really enjoy laundry, but while you were talking about the pantry, I'm thinking like every time I see like a mud room or a, like a, a laundry room that you can walk in and there's like nice shelves and stuff, I'm yeah. like, yeah, put me down for one of those. Yeah, I can I don't, one of those. I don't want to do the laundry, but it, since I have to do it anyway, right. there's nothing like squeezing into a two foot area yeah. to do it. Like it's already annoying in the summer times it feels real hot in there when the dryer's going and all of that. And then 
There's just nowhere to go or ours is right next to our bedroom, which I do love and I'm very thankful for. But because there's no room, I just got clothes. I've got clothes just like all down the hallway, right. like trying to do loads because that is one place where I'm really weird. Like I, I, I need to take care of my clothes in a very certain way. Oh. So I'm not the kind of gal that just throws everything into one. You don't have kids. Load together. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Everything I desperate. I'm like, shove it all in there. I'm waiting for the time when I say something that's just like luxuriating (laughs) in time and you just sock me. So I'm sorry. But I also have friends with no kids that they just throw it all in. Towels. Yeah. You know, rugs. Yeah. Whatever will go in there. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Are you trying to put white and beige together? (laughs) I'm like, I. So. Anyways, it does feel like it's not just a kid thing. It's just like a personality I think you're right. I do think you're right. So. But if you had enough money, do you think maybe. I would just pay someone to do the laundry. Just pay someone to do your laundry. We were talking about that because Kyle was saying like, what are really, really wealthy people do about their laundry? And it was. Service. It was so funny he asked that question because I was like, there's two things they could do. One, I'm sure someone really, really wealthy. And he was specifically talking about the CEO of the company he works for. Mm -hmm. And I was like. They probably have a maid who's just doing laundry all the time. Or there are services where you can just stick it out on your front porch. They come get it and go do it for you. Which is preferable. Preferable. Help me. Preferable to me. That's so weird. (laughs) Is it preferable or preferable? I I say preferable. Or does it matter based on whether there's a noun before it? You know those weird rules? This seems like a sidebar conversation. (laughs) I'm sorry. Anyway, you would prefer, I would prefer the service because I don't think I would ever feel comfortable at any amount of wealth with a service person who lives in my house. They don't have to live in your house. They can just show up. They just show up. Yeah. Okay. They show up at 8 a.m. But sometimes they live there. They can. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not comfortable with that. Like I'm not comfortable with that lifestyle. And hey, it's a job for someone. I'm just saying for me, that doesn't work. I think the part that I would struggle with is them handling Seeing my, my business. underclothes? I see, like, I'm pretty sure I would just separate my laundry and I would, I would still, no matter how much money I make, I would probably still do my own underwear. The underwear. See, I can't, like, I don't even like the word panties. <laughs> there, there's no way I'm <laughs> passing it off to someone. I got a bag of panties for you. <laughs> Come clean my panties. Yeah, you could get money for those. So why are you going to pay for somebody else to take them? Well, that, this went 18 ways. So the laundry room is one thing. That's a big thing. Yeah. For me, I would probably just be either me completely like tearing the sucker down and rebuilding it back up. This was, I am in a suburban cookie cutter home. It ain't my style. It's great. It's just not my style. Right. Like I like something that's like either cottagey mm-hmm. um, and has like a lot of quirks. And pockets and corners. And Until those like quirks that. start leaking and you got to get them repaired. I know, which is Casey's point. Or like, <laughs> I love a nice like spiral staircase somewhere mm. with like a library. Like these, that, like the Biltmore. <laughs> Something small <laughs> and manageable. <Quaint>. Yeah. <laughs> a summer house, if you will. So anyway, so those are a couple of things that popped out to me. I could go, I could, we could start a new podcast about this, but I yeah. just needed to know. My whole thing, I just want land. I want a big piece of land, but I want it in a location that's convenient to things. And this is that's hard. A you box don't really that's get very hard to check. So you also need a plane. 
Right. Like a small, and then how are you going to square that with the way you feel about what that does with the environment? This is, it's, this is the thing. Just, it's a good thing. It's why poor. I live in the house I live in. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Also, I'm poor. It's a good, it's a good thing that we don't have the, that kind of money. We don't have that problem. <laughs> so that was my first tray. Okay. I have fashion notes. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> I have photographic evidence of said fashion notes. Mary Jo's red outfit. At the very beginning. How cute is that? Very cute. It's giving you Michael Jackson vibes. Yeah. Red uh-huh. blazer, black pants. I see a little Princess she Diana. Black gloves on? Or am I just... Yes, she does. Okay. Which was going to be one of my strays, and then it felt really, really stray. But mm-hmm. yeah, she had she had gloves on and mm-hmm. no like overcoat. Oh, very Princess Diana. Yeah, yeah. I see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Julia's crisscross belt, our unidentified fashion object, makes a reappearance. And then the, you feel like you have something you want to say. Mm-mm. The last thing I was going to say is this this um, black outfit about three quarters of the way through the episode. Mm-hmm. They were not going to this lady's funeral, but she looks like she's going oh. to someone's funeral. I was actually thinking because I haven't watched the episode in a minute or two. Um, and so I was wondering, is that her funeral outfit? As far so as I know, this was just a pep day in the blazer, office. Yeah. Long, it's um, black skirt and a red handkerchief. And red lips. Mm-hmm. It's a very pretty look. It is but beautiful. She showed up and I was like... Kind of like Morticia, though. Yeah. It it looks funereal. Mm-hmm. It's nice, though. Good fashion. It's, we need like a fashion, turn to the left. Fashion, turn to the right. Mm. I think we have it. Fashion. I'll be cutting that and putting it at the top of this segment. <laughs> Thank you for that. sound just like David Bowie, too, don't I? <laughs> actually wasn't sure who that was thanks for clarifying that you're welcome until somebody goes that's not david bowie idiot (laughs) um but i'm pretty sure that's david bowie uh i want to pose julia's question to you oh uh uh-oh and i think this is this goes really nicely with us talking about would we be willing to pass our under things onto someone to clean Uh so if one of us knock on wood if one of us passed tonight and a bunch of people came in and looked around at our houses to size us up. What might they find? As a reminder, Charlene had a jigsaw puzzle in the bathroom. Respect, by the way. Mary Jo had a hockey mask in her underwear drawer. I don't know. That's not weird. And Anthony had dirty dishes in his fridge. Been there. And hills in the bathtub from his last his date last night. So, or his last date or something. Um, Which, real quick, was one of my strays. We haven't talked about Anthony dating in a while, yeah. so go Anthony. Yeah, woo-woo. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so with those in mind. It's funny that you're posing this question because the same thing occurred to me while I was watching this episode. So I've really been noodling through this and going through my day-to-day life for a while now thinking, like, remember, like, what is the weird stuff? Remember the weird stuff. I realized how shockingly plain my house is even with kids. So the hockey mask in the underwear drawer is totally something that I was expecting. I would think of something like that because mm. I got the two little kids. You do random things. You have random things. My house is really boring unless it's so normal to me that I don't recognize it as weird. But I did have two that occurred to me. I have a little squirrel statue that is in my bedroom on my dresser. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you walk into somebody's house and you're like, why a squirrel? It's like really realistic looking. Um, It's there. It's a thing. Uh, It was my sorority's mascot Mm -hmm. and somebody gave it to me while I was in my sorority and it has traveled with me through all my different houses and I just can't get rid of it. And I look at it and I think of my sorority and so I have a squirrel statue. Mm. 
Okay. I think that's kind of weird. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't... I don't, I don't know that's, that's not too terribly weird. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, even the things that I think are weird are not that weird. Yeah. The other thing I thought of was I have a, a dirty paper towel that lives on the counter. Okay. And so somebody would like walk in and be like, what is, what is happening here? Kyle uses it to oil a pan that we cook on. Mm-hmm. And I guess like there's no good place to keep a dirty paper towel. So hmm. keeps okay. it on the counter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think we're going to have to cut this episode short because I'm just really grossed out by you right now. I know. It's disgusting, (laughs) isn't it? No, not at all. I've got... uh, So I I will just say that in general, the very notion of this terrified me before Julia even said anything because I was like... I just think about things like that are just drawers I just throw crap in. Um, I have no idea what are in those drawers. Mm-hmm. Like, every couple of years, I'll try and, like, but I just imagine there's probably an amalgamation of really weird crap in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but my, my big one would be what I like to call my transition room. It's where I put holiday decorations, stuff going to Goodwill. But the truth is, it's just where I transition crap to when I don't know what to do with it. Right, when you run out of places. Yeah, and I just feel like people might walk in that room and be like, are they a hoarders? You know, and it's just because it's just, it's real, it's real messed up, guys. I don't know what to say. My in-laws moved last year and they had been in the same house for 30 years. And we all went over there to help them pack things and clean out rooms. And let's just say, like, yeah, it happens that you're going through things and they have a specific purpose for everything. Everything was there for a reason. You just don't know that reason. So I think I'm especially attuned to that now. And I try really hard not to pass judgment because you just have no clue why something is the way it is. And this, this episode resonated with me for that reason, because there's usually a really good reason for it. It's just not your reason. So you don't understand it. For sure. And And it doesn't make moving any easier. So maybe what we need to do is we just like have little slips of paper where everything is weird and it's like just in just case, an explanation in case i'm dead the reason that you're seeing this here is because x y and z yeah you good know? point so that'll be on my never to-do list well <laughs> we were talking about how my in-laws are going to come stay at my house in a couple of weeks and that's actually part of what i'm thinking about is what could they walk in and say like what the heck is this here for and like i your really squirrel I, my squirrel is probably gonna like scare someone and your dirty paper towel telling you what that's gonna have to get cleaned up before they come can't have them thinking we're dirty. Kyle, you get this nonsense out of here. It's disgusting. <laughs> uh, that was my last stray. So I have two more, and then I'd love to do a grit splits. Oh, God. Okay. Um, Julia mentions the types of clients they've worked for in the past. So she says, we have worked for some odd people in our time. We have worked for ex-cons, ex-hookers, and ex-husbands. We have worked for little people, crazy people, old people. We've even worked for naked people. But they always had one thing in common. They were always people. We're not going to cover naked people until the next episode. Have we covered naked people before? Or is this an instance of... Filming out of order. I feel like there may have been an early, like maybe even in the pilot, an early naked client. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. What, that that guy, that like sexual aggressor? No. This would have been like, he had like, he wanted to put lions in his house. Um, You know what it might be? 
This might be another out of order thing. I think I think it's out of order. Yeah. I think it might be. I want it to be. I just, yeah. So if anybody out there knows, if we had another naked client, we're forgetting. Um, and then the, the second one I had was that, obviously, as we just discussed, I know nothing about inheriting a fortune. Yeah. Um, and I know even less about being a cat who inherits a fortune. But I was really surprised there was no handler for the cat. So the women are like sitting on the couch holding this million dollar cat and no one's looking after it. Well, she just died. Don't you think that's in the will if you really care about your cat enough to leave them all of this money? Oh, that's a huge loophole. Yeah. 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 I just, somebody would be watching this thing. Sure. I got to tell you, Jackson, I, my parents know they're getting Jackson if something happens to us. Right. Yeah, it so, does feel like he's if not there's worth a million dollars. A, a will. This is priceless. Well, sure, but dollar wise. <laughs> If you had to put a number on it. My God, I hope Jackson never listens to this. This would break his little puppy heart. He can't hear anymore. <laughs> oh, he's so old. He's so old. He can't hear. All right, well, that's perfect. Uh, so you want to play a game? Uh, yes. Gosh, especially if I'm in the hot seat. All right. <laughs> All right. So while we were brainstorming this segment, one thing that resonated with me was the idea of Mr. Bailey being a performer. That's sort of the twist at the end of the episode as we find out that he earned this money. He was in commercials and whatnot. So I did a quick Google on it, and I found a list on therichest.com of what famous animal actors were paid. And I thought we could run through them and see if you could guess what they were actually paid. So I'll give you a ballpark, and you have to guess whether it was more or less than what I say. Okay. So... 50-50 shot, right? Okay. Um, so before we start, we need to have a discussion. Do you want steaks? Uh, and not S-T-E-A-K-S's, but S-T-A-K-E-S's. Uh, it's going to be a challenge because I have seven animals. It's um, it's a 50-50 shot. It's sort of a guessing game. It's not really based on anything that you would have any reason to know these things. So it feels like steaks aren't necessary, but this always comes up when we have these... <laughs> these things so i want to offer it to you can i no you don't want steaks no i think that's the right that's choice I, here oh good i think good, that's good. the right choice here because my next thing was going to be like whatever you want to do so okay. like if you had something like great in mind i did not okay cool it was going to be a cup of coffee and but i did have like if you get four or more right you get a cup of coffee but it just feels really unfair because it's not a game based on talent or skill in any sort of way or okay. knowledge okay okay let's go Okay. Um, Rin Tin Tin. This is a male German shepherd who was born in France. He became an international star in motion pictures. Uh, I thought this was interesting. He was rescued from a World War I battlefield by an American soldier, Lee Duncan, who nicknamed him Rinty. Duncan trained Rin Tin Tin and obtained silent work film for the dog. Uh, he was an immediate box office success and went on to appear in 27 Hollywood films, gaining worldwide fame. Along with the earlier canine film star Strongheart, I've never heard of Strongheart, mm -hmm. uh, Rin Tin Tin was responsible for greatly increasing the popularity of German Shepherd dogs as family pets. Uh, the immense, immense popularity of his films contributed to the success of Warner Brothers Studios. Hmm. So there's some tent poles from his resume. Mm -hmm. Selena, do you think Rin Tin Tin made more or less than $5,000 a week? 
Am I allowed to ask what time period this is? Because Rin Tin Tin, yeah. I'm only familiar with the TV show because I think later oh. they reboot and do a TV show. They do, and okay. they uh, there's a story to that. Okay. Uh, so he was rescued from a World War One battlefield. Oh, right, I don't right, have right, this right, written right. down, but it would have been that time period. Oh, man, I I think it's possible. Like I want to say more, okay, but I think just because I think it's so messed up for this dog to have been in that many shows, I want to say less. It was more. It was more. Your first answer oh, was right. good. Okay, yeah. good. They paid him well. He made $6,000 a week okay, not at bad. one point in not his career. Much. Okay. $6,000 oh, a week. I should say also, I would love to make $6,000 a, a week. That's a ton. Yeah, but I'm thinking about like, I don't know. Anytime you put an animal to work, I just start feeling weird about it. And like, I just, you know, you just, whatever we can do to... I don't feel weird about it, and I'll tell you why. I think some probably are exploited and mistreated. I think some live really good lives, and I get the sense Rin Tin Tin was one of those. Okay. Uh, German Shepherds are work dogs. They love to work anyway. Um, I get the sense he was fed really well. He lived really well. So I don't feel bad for Rin Tin Tin. I also found two examples of times he was paid more than his human co-stars. Yeah, I was sitting here thinking about how mostly he was probably paid more than like a – Marilyn Monroe on a project or something, and I'm not kidding. So that's where it gets yeah. weird. Okay. Um, he was a really big deal, and when he died, this is just for people to know about Rin Tin Tin. There was actually a news bulletin that interrupted regular TV program, uh, like regular TV programming, to announce his death, and then an hour long special ran on TV the next day, and he was awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Which means they had that special already canned to go, which means that practice has been going on a long time. Weird, right? Yeah. Okay, next. Keiko the Killer Whale. Oh, Free Willy? Free Willy. Okay. So Keiko was a male orca that was captured in the Atlantic Ocean near Iceland in 1979, and he played Willy in the 1993 film Free Willy. Selena, do you think Keiko made more or less than $10 million for his role in Free Willy? That's really tough. Um, I'm going to say, God, I'm going to say more. You're right. Uh, he earned $36 million and his freedom, kind of. In 1996, oh, Warner Brothers and the International Marine Mammal Project contributed to return, collaborated to return Keiko to the wild. So that was in 1996. After years of preparing him for reintegration, he was flown to Iceland in 1998 and in 2002 became the first captive orca to be fully released back into the ocean. And then they went and got him for the sequel. <laughs> Is that what you're about to tell me? No, okay. but it's 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 something. Um, so it sounds really happy, but it's actually like a super sad story. And I won't go into the full depth that I went into researching it. Um, but one, I couldn't find any reference to what happened to that $36 million. Like I didn't find an explicit reference that the money that he earned went into um, freeing him. I did find that the total cost of freeing him was $20 million, but it took years um, and even after he finished recording the film, he was originally returned to the tiny tank in Mexico that he came from. So like the film directors or producers or whatever went out and scouted him and they were like, he'd be perfect in this film about an exploited animal who needs to be returned to the wild. They do the film and then they have to return him to Mexico to this tiny tank he was in. Hmm. So where did all that money go? I don't know. Um, I think I think he ended up dying um, pretty quickly after being returned within a couple of years. He just never fully reintegrated. Hmm. So sorry. I don't want to end on a sad note, but that one was sad. So I'm going to keep going. Yeah, that's my area. Because some of the other animals are happier. Okay. Bart the Alaskan brown bear. Um, the big one that's always in... Shut up. Go ahead. 
Uh, you must know. I had no idea who this was. Um, he was a male Alaskan Kodiak bear who lived from 1977 to 2000. He's best known for his appearances in The Bear, for which he received widespread acclaim, White Fang, Legends of the Fall, and The Edge. You know him? It's who I'm thinking of. That's funny. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, Robert Redford, Morgan Freeman, John Candy, Dan Aykroyd, Daryl Hannah, Annette Bening, Ethan Hawke, Steven Seagal, Brad Pitt, Alec Baldwin, and Anthony Hopkins all appeared in films opposite Bart, and all were reportedly impressed with how well he was trained. Wow. Over the course of his career, do you think he made more or less than $1 million? I'm going to say less. Less, really. Okay, so it's more. It's more. Okay. He reportedly made $6 million, including $1 million for the movie The Bear. Hmm. I was just going with the odds. Yeah, I get it. Uh, Pat the Collie, who is a rough collie who lived between 1940 and 1958, ultimately performing in 40 television shows and films. He rose to fame as hero and friend playing the fictional female dog, Lassie. Okay. According to Wikipedia, Powell's ancestry is traced to the 19th century and England's first great collie, Old Cocky. Because of his large eyes and the white blaze on his forehead, he was judged not of the highest standards and was sold as a pet quality dog. He donated a large sum to the animal to animal rescue organizations and charities. Uh, and Pal's son Lassie Jr. eventually took over for Pal's roles. But Lassie, con- or I guess Pal, continued to join the crew in the studio while his son worked. And according to Listverse, served as an occasional backup. So Selena, Lassie, was his net worth more or less than ten million dollars? Oh, man. I mean, I want to say more, but there's got to be a lesson here somewhere. <laughs> um, thank goodness there's not stakes on this. That would be so anxiety-ridden right now. Um, but but like, that's a long go with your time gut, ago. Let's go less. Go with your gut, man. Go more. More. Okay. <laughs> His net worth was roughly $13 million. He earned an average of $4,000 a week. All right. So, I mean, I did not realize that last year was a boy. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. I Yeah, I got it all mixed up when I was doing my research and can confirm Lassie was a girl, pal, boy. All I can hear in my head is Lassie. <laughs> all right, I only have a couple more. I'll speed this up. Moose the Jack Russell. This is the adorable wire-haired terrier who lived between 1990 and 2006 and played the pup Jack Crane on Frasier. <sighs> Yeah. Okay. He was too rambunctious at birth, so his owner gave him away to a company that trains animals for film and TV. Eddie. I love Eddie. He had numerous television appearances and several magazine covers to his credit. There is an official moose calendar and an autobiography, My Life as a Dog, which was written by Brian Hargrove, husband of actor David Hyde Pierce, who portrays Niles Crane in Frasier. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, did Moose earn more or less than $5,000 an episode? Gosh darn it. You, I'm going to, I got to say more than. Thank you. Okay. More. They're <laughs> all more. <laughs> I think maybe I didn't think this through properly. Little tricky. <laughs> he earned $10,000 an episode, totaling $3.2 million over the course of his time on Frasier. I don't know that this is true. I mean, I don't know if you saw this or not. And the only reason I know this is because the show, The Mindy Project, where they go to, one of the characters tricks another character that they're going to do Oh, to go find his actual grave, because his grave is like a public landmark or something. Oh. And then, but they're actually going to do something different. But anyways, I wonder if that's true. That may be true. Yeah. I, I didn't see, see that. I didn't I see that in my research, it. but. Love that dog. According to the way they treated like the, the dog who played Rin Tin Tin, the dog who played Lassie. I mean, they become. Very possible. They become like 
Like family. Like family. (laughs) Uh, Crystal of the Capuchin Monkey. Crystal was born in 1994, still alive today. She got her start in 1997 as a baby monkey in George of the Jungle. She also played the drunk monkey in Dr. Doolittle 2, the drug dealing (laughs) monkey in The Hangover Part 2, Dexter in Night at the Museum, and a recurring role as Annie's boobs on Community. Okay. Did you watch Community? Uh, Very funny. Parts, but not all of it. Um, In 2012, Crystal was cast as the star of the NBC NBC show Animal Practice. For that show, Selena, did she make more or less than $15,000 an episode? More? Less. Just slightly less. You're getting really good at this game. You winked at (laughs) me. Whatever. (laughs) I did have one that was less. She banked $12,000 an episode Mm. for the short-lived show. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think this is my last one. Terry the Terrier, who starred in Wizard of Oz. Uh, Toto. A fe- that's right. A female Carn Terrier who lived from 1933 to 1945. She appeared in many different movies, most famously as Toto, Toto. in The Wizard of Oz in 1939. <laughs> it was her only credited role, though she was credited not as Terry, but as Toto. She did her own stunts. And during the filming of The Wizard of Oz, someone stepped on her foot and broke it. Oh, that's sad. As a result, Terry spent two weeks recuperating at Judy Garland's residence, and Garland developed a close attachment to her. She offered to buy Terry, uh, but her owner refused to sell her. So, Selena, Terry the Terrier. More or less than $100 a week while filming The Wizard of Oz? Less. More. $125 a week or $2,300 a week with inflation. I'm terrible at this game. According to several sources, that was more than many of the human actors in the film and also more than the average working American at the time. Um, so that's that's the end of our game. Um, and that's... <laughs> I lost. <laughs> yeah. You, you win the game of life. Uh, that's seven or eight animals who made more money in their short lives than I'll ever see in my entire human life. Um, I found one other article I'll drop in our show notes um, about millionaire pets. We... We, meaning me, went the route of Mr. Bailey being a performer. But there's also a lot to be said about rich people leaving their pets money. This is not Mm -hmm. infrequent and unusual. I mean, it probably is infrequent in the grand scheme of life, but it's not unusual for very rich people to leave their dogs or pets money. So I found a Reader's Digest article that I'll link to as well. Nice. Well, I liked it. That was, uh, I also think what really proves how in the culture these animals are who are like paid performers is like... I knew everything you were talking about, you mm-hmm. know. Um, Even Rin Tin Tin from World War One. Right. We know who they are. Still in the culture mm-hmm. to some to some degree, though not as much today. Yeah. Took it. All right. Well, wonderful. So do we want to move on to things that we like? Yep. My first one is I loved the writing and the acting around the Zippy the Fourth story. I actually laughed out loud multiple times. Um, this is when, uh, Charlene is talking about her neighbor's dog from Mm -hmm. Poplar Bluff. Mm -hmm. And I think Mary Jo says, he doesn't sound like a healthy dog. And, uh, Charlene says, well, no kidding. Why do you think he was to be the fourth? The way she delivered that, the way that those two lines hit back to back, that whole piece made me laugh really hard. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was funny. Um, the one that ate all the pies and the cakes. Yes. Something else. Yes. Doesn't sound very healthy. No kidding. (laughs) Right. Another one I had is, uh, 
so on brand for Suzanne, how she hates cats, but then a second later she comes in lovey-dovey. Uh, and my first thought when she picked up that cat was not in a silk shirt. And sure enough, he snagged the shirt and it became like a whole thing that he snagged her silk shirt. Oh, yeah. I thought that you were going to, this seems like a good place to interject mine, which is in the beginning, she's unknowingly comparing herself to a cat. She oh, says, yes. They're the most useless animals sitting around, acting picky and superior, taking naps and grooming themselves and occasionally taking time to choke on a hairball. And then she's like... <coughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, that was very good. Sorry, I was taking that opportunity for me to really cough. You're just using that as an excuse. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, I, my, another thing I really liked was just the twist at the end I thought was a good one. Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but all the stuff they thought made Evelyn crazy were all these collector items and, and leaving all her money to her cat made sense because he earned it as Fluffy the Kitty Yum Yum's cat. <laughs> Uh, we got a throwback to Mr. Tyson, which I appreciated because I love continuity. That is nice. Uh, and my last one is I liked Mary Jo's cat joke about uh, the woman who uses her genie to turn her cat into a handsome man. Uh, and the reason I liked that one so much was because I loved Annie Potts' delivery of that joke. She's a master. She did it really well. It's very cute. Um, I the Building off of me liking the twist, I also like that you know, that meaning behind that is something um, I really like too, which is that, and this is sort of what we've been circling around in our conversation today, but like people do strange things sometimes for good reason. Mm -hmm. And we just have to take the time and care enough to learn more about who they are instead of judging who we think they are. Or just mind your business and don't care either way. Well, that would work too. Just let people live. That would work too. Um, you know, if you want to go that route. <laughs> I, I like the, the episode rewarded, and this is my last one, someone who was good to Evelyn and Mr. Bailey, mm. even though I kind of wish the money had gone to Anthony, because that would have been nice for Anthony, but I like that. So I feel like that last one maybe leads to the one thing that I don't like. Okay. Which I'm not sure is really a not like. It's just something that would keep me up at night. Okay. Mr. Hale, the man who's going to become Mr. Bailey's caretaker. He's visibly elderly as well. No? Oh. So are we not at all concerned about this whole thing just happening again? You know, I, I didn't even really think of him as being like like elderly. He was moving around pretty good. He's very white-headed. <laughs> yeah. I myself have the grays, but he was white-headed. Mm. He was well, not maybe, a spring chicken. Maybe, was he a pharmacist or something? Like, I don't know. Anyways, like, yeah. I think he was a pharmacist and yeah. lived, like, nearby. I feel like this is, the buck's going to stop with him, and he is going to have a plan in place. <laughs> I hope so. For this, this thing that we're concerned about. I was deeply concerned TV about it. Show. I was, I was deeply concerned. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's the only thing I didn't like, and again, I'm not sure it really counts. I thought you were going to say Suzanne's insinuation that the cat is their boss was still a step above Anthony, which I thought was very rude. Good point. Yeah, no, I didn't think about that. I just, I don't know. There was something there. I just, I didn't love that. But mm. also it was very true to her character. Yeah. So Not that's brand. fine. Um, and then I think, again, I'll just say, you know, I like so many of the components in this one. I just didn't really care that much for the packaging it came in. Um, because of that contrived way that we had to start. However, in some episodes, um, I just want to be positive. In some episodes, there's no payoff. 
mm-hmm. when it's contrived. And yeah. in this one, I thought it was a really good payoff, actually. Yeah. And so that I really liked. Do you want to rate this sucker? I do. Okay. What you got? My scale is hot tub sized cat bowls. Oh. And what's your rating? five out of five? Five out of five. I thought this episode was outstanding. Oh, wonderful. Uh, I mostly just because I'd rewatch it a couple of times voluntarily. Like, you don't have to force me to rewatch it. I thought it was cute. Uh, it was clever. The writing was funny. I thought the story was quirky. I'll uh-huh. love a quirky story. Sure. Um, and I really love every episode where we've explored eccentrics. And I appreciated, as you mentioned earlier, that this one showed us that she's not really that eccentric. She had a, there was a plan. I yeah. liked that. So I gave it three out of five kitty yum yums. Three. Hmm. Not on the same page, I see. Things I liked couldn't outweigh that this just didn't make sense to me. Um, but I, I couldn't put it lower than three because it had a cute twist at the end. And I think it's so funny that you said it was fine. Like the re- one of the reasons you rated it so high is because it's something that you could watch over and over again. I simply was not clamoring to see it again. Really? Which is, but that is funny that we use that as a gauge. Yeah. Right. To whether or not it's whether or not it's rewatchable for us. Yeah. And for me, this isn't as much of a rewatchable. But I really did like digging into the episode. I'm sorry, you're wrong. <laughs> I hate <laughs> that for you. It won't be the first time even in the last <laughs> ten minutes. Um see grit splits. <clears throat> so who who won the episode for you? Who buttered our biscuits? Mr. Bailey. He okay. was a silent character, but he was central to the episode. I found him charming and endearing and wonderful. <laughs> or was it his money that I liked? <laughs> <laughs> it just depends. Depends on how Suzanne you're feeling today. Um, I had Mr. Bailey as well, but also Joe Hale, the mm. person who winds up getting him. Um, they're both about to get a couple million dollars, so not too shabby for a cat and a neighbor who looked in on Evelyn from time to time. Yeah, that was nice. Who lost the episode or who served us that lumpy gravy? The legal system, man. What a racket. Just big thinking. Just trying to steal a hardworking cat's livelihood all in the name of the law? Yeah. What is that about? Well, the law benefits some. It doesn't benefit us all. You know Hmm. what I'm saying? Not cats for sure. Mine was Suzanne or Anthony. Uh, I couldn't decide. But Suzanne, because, you know, she really tried and failed to get Mr. Bailey to love her. (laughs) Just wasn't happening. (laughs) Anthony, because we don't know, but what if he secretly got his hopes up when he got called in for the reading oh. of the will? Like, that's kind of, they yeah. why did they call in Julia for that? Yeah. Just another loophole, I guess. Yeah. 80s things. I didn't have any. I didn't either, which made me think I missed something, but since you don't either, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think we're okay. We, just, we're we right. could have been in any era. It's true. We really could have in this one. Because it, when it is quirky, it's almost like you're in another universe. It's true, which I like. Okay. Uh, Southern things. There was the saying, set big store. Charlene says a lot of people set big store by their pets. Mm -hmm. And then she launched into her popular bluff story. So I had to look that up because I didn't know what that meant. It means to value highly. I don't know that it's Southern, but it sounds like it. Fair enough. I had that in references that we need to talk about. So yeah, that also. Did you have more to add? No, just I got it from the context, but I was like, I have never heard that before in my entire life. Mm -mm. Um, But I like calling it Southern. You know, I like if something sounds Southern, (laughs) we just make it Southern. It's our show. I was following your lead. Yeah, I'm going to do what I want. So (laughs) I I like that you're taking my route. Um, Mary Jo talking about previous clients made my list. So 
this uh, what is she, this is not the first time we've been the designers of choice of someone whose brains have gone around the bend. Oh, uh-huh. So I like that it was a Southern reference and a clairvoyant reference to the show <laughs> because I like to end the show with letting you guys know that you'll see us around the bend. Or oh, we'll see you around the bend. Yeah. Or whatever it is that I say. We'll see if I remember by the end. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you have? Uh, the last one I had was Suzanne saying, what in the Sam Hill are you talking about? On my list too. All right. Uh, I don't think we ever get the client. Oh, we do actually. We get the client's full name. It's Evelyn. But just the fact that they keep referring to her by like a formal married name, mm. that feels very old Southern to me. Oh, good point. Uh, references that we need to talk about. I have two. Uh, I looked up Stife Teddy Bears. Mm-hmm. They mentioned that. So the Stife website says that this manufacturer has been making plush toys and collectibles since 1880. They're perhaps best known for their bears and allegedly invented the teddy bear in 1902. Uh, it says they've designed more than 16,000 animal designs, but vin- this is a quote I think I pulled from their website. Vintage Stife pieces are regularly sold on the secondary market for thousands of dollars. Uh, these products are generally considered family heirlooms and are passed from generation to generation. I found an article from this year about a 1912 design that was sold after the sinking of the Titanic uh, that oh. just sold at auction for over $20,000. Oh, um, well, we both looked that one up. Okay. So <clears throat> I'll just jump in and say that the difference between you and me, as you say, allegedly, and I was like, they invented the teddy bear. Um, I get wary of anyone that invented, quote unquote, something like that, because, I mean, really, no one's ever made a stuffed creature looked like a teddy bear before 1902. I just don't know. Mm. I just don't know. Well, we used to just make kids work from the time that they walked out of the womb. So I kind <laughs> of believe true. that. true. <laughs> they had to have time to learn to walk first. Right. And a child cannot walk when they're born. Yeah, like three is a really good time <laughs> to just go ahead and... Also in my head that a three-year-old is just learning to walk. <laughs> shows you how much of a parent I am. Some of them might. Yeah, Some that's true. That's true. I just don't think that's an average. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, okay, so... I, I do think it's important to say that the stifes are like, sounds like I just said something dirty. Anyways, it, like that stife is like a luxury brand. Oh, uh-huh. And so I think they're, well, this is alleged too, maybe. Um, but they're like uh, the only luxury toy brand in the marketplace today. Uh, I also looked up some different things. Uh, it, it's so interesting because what I read is that they go by inches. So... <laughs> What's funny? I don't understand. I don't either. Um, up to $500 per inch of the bear. <laughs> Isn't that weird? That is weird. Anyways, but with some 20-inch bears selling for around $10,000 at auction, I also found something where an original Stife bear, they called it 28 PBs, can sell for up to $40,000. 28 is centimeters, I think, but P for plush and B for the German word for movable. <laughs> okay. Anyways, I don't know. There's also, like, they have other vintage Stife toys, so not just bears. And um, in earlier years, there's things that have gone to auction for more than $100,000. So it's just, this and I'd never heard of this before. Ever. And this is because it's their luxury. Poor. Yeah, I was going to say, they don't, they're not sold at Toys R Us. Oh, yeah. Uh, I thought FAO Schwartz back in the day was. Oh, for sure. That's, that's luxury, a fancy right? store. They probably had Stife bears. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, total aside, but there's a show I think you can see on Netflix called The Repair Shop. Yeah. 
And sometimes they, they have the teddy bear ladies who repair teddy bears. I follow them on Instagram as well. Teddy bears, one, are a very personal thing. I have a teddy bear I've had since I was a kid. Um, they're a very personal thing, and it is really cool to watch them rebuild these bears and bring them back to their former glory. And they'll leave some of the imperfection because part of the, the joy of having your teddy is that their nose is rubbed off and or whatever. Jar. Sure. It's really sweet. Oh, that's Total nice. aside. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I do not have and cannot mm-hmm. – uh, like, I don't identify with this at all, was something they mentioned called the Haskell's Minnow Fishing Lure. Mm-hmm. This is apparently another big-time collectible. Uh, this design was patented in 1859 as the first minnow-shaped lure to be patented. It's got to happen sometime. And, and so, see, I don't say allegedly because it was the first to be patented. Mm-hmm. So with that clarification, I feel mm-hmm. comfortable. As a result, they're desirable by collectibles. According to a fishing lore website I found, and this is where measurements come in, the copper and brass lore came in four lengths of three and a half, four and a half, six, and ten inches. The larger lures are scarcer than the smaller ones. Some of them have tiny impressions like scales, and some are smooth. The smaller lures are stamped R. Haskell, and the larger ones are stamped Riley Haskell. I found one sold at auction in 2003 for $102,000. I found that too. (laughs) Same references. Uh, Well, you don't get to look up fishing lures every day. You don't. You know what I'm saying? Um, That's your only two? That's my last one, yeah. Well, I looked up the the other thing that was also like in her house and worth something were the license plates. Oh, uh uh-huh. This is specifically the Alaska 1921 license plate uh, worth $10,000. So according to Tim Stintiford... I thought you were going to say Stife. Okay, right. Uh, Wait a second. Uh, But anyways, this is editor of Plates Magazine, the world's premier license plate publication, and proof that there really is a magazine for everything. I was just thinking that. Mm -hmm. There are some vintage plates that are worth tens of thousands of dollars. The most valuable is the 1921 Alaskan plate. It's about six, it's worth about 60,000 now. Inflation. You know, I know. Um, but here's why: there's there are only four known to exist. What the plate? Yeah, so be on the lookout, Bolo. The plate was the first issued by the Territory of Alaska, decades before it attained statehood. Back then, transporting an automobile to Alaska was extremely difficult, and once the once the car arrived, there were barely any roads to drive it on. The last sell of a 1921 Alaska plate occurred in 2000 in a Wendy's parking lot in Biddeford, Maine. So for how much? Uh, all I I don't know. I heard oh, Wendy's, and all I could think about was French fries and frosties. frosties. Uh, it well, it doesn't say, but I guess probably whatever ten thousand dollars in nineteen eighty nine is is in two thousand. So probably, you're probably up to around thirty thousand by then. What an obscure place to make that sort of exchange, or that they even like reported on that part. Of exactly. It. Yeah. Like, where did you do this? You know, it's just a Wendy's parking lot. Well, hold on. <clears throat> Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. Uh. I got one more. Okay. Which is the cat commercial. Oh, uh-huh. I just, I was like, is this, is Kitty Yum Yum a thing? And so, and I don't know. I found, I found a couple and we'll link to them. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's the cat chow, 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 chow. There's Meow Mix, cast meow, meow, meow. for it by name. <laughs> um, and I was just going to say that Mr. Bailey looks kind of like the Meow Mix uh, cat, but... There's only been, in case you're not aware, about one 
million cat commercials. Mm. <laughs> so it's really hard to tease apart. But I was hoping maybe there was, if not exactly that one, that there was one that they were trying to emulate. I clear. was just thinking, as you're saying this, that there's a huge gap in my animal performer's piece, which uh, is I should have looked up who Mr. Bailey was. What if he was like the Meow Mix cat? Yeah, I don't, I mean. Gosh darn it, Nikki. I don't think, life together. I don't think that research is available. Not secondary anyway. I don't know. So that was my last one. You got any cut lines for us this time? I had two. Um... But now I'm trying to realize if, if either one of them is worth talking about. This one is, for sure. When they were talking about airs um, in Julia, H-E-I-R-S, and Julia got on her soapbox about how sickening that process is and how they just, like, come in and they divvy up all your stuff and fight over it. Well, it turns out, actually, maybe that was a little more personal than we got from the episode. Um, so Charlene says, Julia, and Julia says, I'm sorry, but too many times I've seen ungrateful young people grabbing up the remains of their elderly relatives' estates, and it's a horrible spectacle. Remember when Uncle Bo's died? Oh, yeah. Oh, all the cousins, cousins had a big fight that went on for about three years over this antique sideboard that he owned. I mean, you cannot imagine the scratching and clawing and greedy behavior, and whoever sunk the lowest was gonna get it. Whoa, that must have been some sideboard. Suzanne says, it was. Well, you've seen it, Charlene. It's in my front hallway. Oh, yeah. It's nice. Thank you. So there was a lot to that. Yeah. Tough. That was it. So next episode, episode 11, I, I referenced it earlier in this episode, but The Naked Truth. We'd love everyone to follow along with us and engage. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Sweet Tea and TV. Our email address is sweetteatvpod at gmail.com. And our website is www.sweetteatv.com. And as always, there are several ways to support the show. You can tell your family and friends about us and rate and review the podcast wherever you listen. And then as our Patreons know, we also have some additional ways available on the website from our Support Us page that you can support the show. Woo! <laughs> so we love you, Patreons! <laughs> so hang tight for extra sugar. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, maybe why you should think about holding on to your junk. We've talked a lot in this episode about weird stuff around our house. Maybe it's not so weird after all. Well, maybe I'm not going to be taking my junk to Goodwill this year. Who knows? Maybe not. Well, we'll see you around the bend. Bye. Welcome to this week's edition of Extra Sugar. In the main episode, we talked about one aspect of this episode, Mr. Bailey having been a paid animal performer. But there's another huge part of this story. All that stuff in Miss Carver Whitehead's house. Mm -hmm. Stuff that, to the untrained eye, might have appeared to be garbage. Mm -hmm. But on closer inspection was actually worth quite a lot. So apparently this is a thing that really happens. Not to me. Doesn't sound like to you. But to somebody. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I found an insider article highlighting 23 cases just like that, which I thought we could talk about today. Uh, I'm not going to go through all 23. I've picked out my favorites. First, I thought maybe I'd ask the flip of this, which is, Selena, have you ever bought or owned something that you were sure was going to become a collectible one day, but then were sadly disappointed to learn that it wasn't? I feel like I know your answer, or at least one of your answers. <laughs> I, it may be something I would... Oh, I know what you're thinking of. <laughs> Are you thinking about the Princess, Princess Diana? Princess Diana, baby. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I have, um, I didn't buy it. Um, this was years ago. 
Um, there's a Franklin Mint. <laughs> I feel like I just aged myself to 82. Um, there's a Franklin Mint Princess Diana doll in her wedding dress. It's a porcelain doll. I think my grandmother bought it and she still has it. Um, and it's like a full on replica. The train is like three or four feet long. It just stays in the box. But the one thing that you're not supposed to do, as I understand it, is get it out of the box. But yeah. I think I begged and eventually it came out of the box and we would get it out occasionally so that I could just like, I love Princess Diana. I still do. And uh, yeah, so um, that would be the thing now that she's passed, but I don't think it actually is probably any more valuable than it was then. I was actually thinking of a Princess Diana beanie baby. Mm. Do you have one of those? No. Oh, I thought you did. So I've got my Princess Diana collectibles confused for you. Mm. Uh, what well. is a Princess Diana beanie baby? Was the beanie baby released after she died. Oh, how Apparently everybody not tacky. So I found this article uh, on Vox that says it's not that Beanie Babies are worthless. Collectors in the hobby are willing to pay quite a bit of money for the right ones. It's just that the most coveted Beanie Babies today are the ones most people have never heard of. And it talks about the hunt for the Princess Diana one as an example. What's it shaped like? It's a Beanie Baby. I think it's like special colors, maybe purple. Oh, aren't they animals? Do I not understand what Beanie Babies are? Yeah, they're animals. <laughs> I was just trying to think, think like, what bear. would represent her, you know? Never mind. This is a worthless conversation because you don't own one. You had a Princess Diana doll. So I only halfway remembered it. I'm sorry. It's fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was thinking, like, maybe it's shaped like a rose or something. But, I, yeah. Oh, I don't anyway. have my phone handy. I don't remember. I want to say it was a purple bear. Mm. There's, I'm sure there's a reason. Okay. Mine are Barbie dolls. Yeah, so yeah, when yeah, I was yeah. anywhere, holiday ones, right? yeah, yeah. It, holiday ones and also just like random ones. So like when I was like six to 10, mm -hmm. I loved Barbie dolls. Mm -hmm. And, um, at some point close family started giving me what they turned, not they, my family, but like what Mattel termed the collectible ones. Right. Um, and then my parents started collecting, like giving me one every holiday or the ornaments. We've definitely talked about this here probably at some point. like there's the bob mackie ones and yes yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. mine are not worth anything by the way uh Take as, them out of the box as it no they're well, just not worth as anything. it turns out same situation uh as i think a lot of collectibles which is they get this you get this idea that they're going to be collectible one day and they're sold that way so everyone gets too them many. Yeah. yeah yeah so there's too much supply for the demand. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I've looked a couple of mine up recently because I was trying to clean out my basement and I found all these Barbies that just like, they mean a lot to me sentimentally, but they're just sitting in a box and I just hate for them to be sitting in a box. So I started looking them up. Like I have Native American Barbie, which feels so like something, like a moment in time, something. And I'm just like, surely someone wants this somewhere. Nope, $10. Because they ended up being sold at like Rite Aid and Eckerd and stuff. So sure. there's a million of them. So I'm sorry. Uh, but funnily enough, when we were brainstorming for this episode, I stumbled across a CNN article about a Texas woman who found a 52 pound marble bust at her local Goodwill in 2018. She paid $35 and towed it at home. Uh, but this wouldn't be extra sugar without a little something extra. Her story doesn't end there. Four years later, her $35 Goodwill find found its way to the San Antonio Museum of Art after she did some homework and discovered it was nearly 2,000 years old with roots, with Roman roots. 
Yeah, that's crazy. I remember that being reported. I didn't realize it was 52 pounds. Would you tote anything out of Goodwill that was that heavy? I wouldn't, but she has a history in art, if I remember, or oh. collectibles or something. Okay. And she was just sure, like, this, this sh- is something. Um, a, something this substantial for $35 is something. Yeah. Um. So I, I don't think I have it written here, but she ended up doing a bunch of her own research, reached out to a museum and was like, help me figure this out. So it's believed to be the bust mm-hmm. of Sextus Pompey, Pompey, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, a Roman military leader. According to the article on CNN, his father, Pompey the Great, I'm realizing now it's Pompey, mm-hmm. uh, was once an ally of Julius Caesar. Okay. Um, apparently the bust was stolen out of storage in Germany at some point. Um, so it's currently on display in San Antonio under a contract, but it's ultimately going to return to Germany because it's technically Germany's property. Mm. What I couldn't figure out is whether she got a finder's fee because mm. she paid $35. Did she at least get her $35 back before all these international countries started fighting over it? Sounds like an Indiana Jones plot line It does, doesn't it? Yeah. It's crazy. She does it just for the history, Nikki. Right. Sure. Uh, so that's just one example. Um, like I said, I found 23 examples from this article, and I'm not going to go through them all. I will link the whole article in our blog post if anybody wants to peruse them. But I pulled out a handful that I thought were interesting, and I've ranked them in order of most expensive finds, starting with the cheapest. Okay. So the first one is a Nintendo game called Kid Icarus. It went for $9,000 in an online sale. So this dude's cleaning out the attic of his childhood home, and he finds the game in a bag unopened. He had no recollection of buying the game. He pieced together, though, maybe it was intended as a Christmas present because um, he found the receipt with it. Um, It was dated December of 1988. So the receipt for this $9,000 sale amounted to $38.45 from JCPenney. According to a profit calculator... That's a 23,000% profit. Mm, Not bad. So cool. Also, Uh, can I just say that one of the most surprising parts of that story is that the receipt wasn't faded. Probably it was. He found it in an attic. So it was in a bag in an attic in the dark. Mm -hmm. And I think light is the greatest enemy of ink. There you go. But good point. Uh, A doorstop. $100,000. Is it my Hodor? doorstop <laughs> it's not your door doorstop so imagine this you prop your bedroom door open every day with a 22 pound rock for 30 years sure i should mention that rock was a real life meteor that's oh. what happened to a michigan man who bought a farm in 1988 the man selling the farm gave him the rock with the property and told him it was a meteor from the 30s Finally, the new owner brought it to Center Michigan University to be examined by a geology professor who validated its origins and told him it was made of 88.5% iron and 11.5% nickel. Most importantly, it's worth $100,000. So the profit percentage on this one probably isn't that great since he had to buy a farm to get it. But if you consider, consider it free, Just separate from in. the purchase of the farm, sure. I guess it's pretty sweet. Uh, I bought a house and all I got was crusty paint cans. Yeah. Nobody ever knows what to do with those. Uh, 26 carat diamond masquerading as a garish piece of costume jewelry. Okay. $800,000. Wow. At a London market in the 1980s, a woman dropped $13 on what she thought was a fake diamond ring. She proceeded to wear it every day for 30 years until she got suspicious and took it to Sotheby's, where she learned it was a 26 carat diamond, ultimately 
uh, $847,000 at auction. Um, the ring was probably worth over $400,000 originally, but I'm factoring in that she paid $13 for it versus that original. Oh yeah, for sure. So that meant a 6 million percent profit for the lucky finder. That is nuts. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And also just a reminder, like I don't have great luck. And that is the dream, but like 30 years too late. Right. Or at least 20 something. Yeah. Yeah. It's still possible. I mean, I'll take it. Maybe there's something around your house you haven't thought of. Uh, $1.2 million chess piece. Just one piece. Just one piece. Wow. Okay. So it's 19, it's in the 1960s. You're a dude out about town just bargain hunting as one does. For chess pieces. Uh, And you find it. A beautifully detailed chess piece at the bargain price of $6. So you slam down your cash and head home. Over the years, you pass it down to family members. One day. 55 years later, they visit Sotheby's, thinking there's something to this piece, only to find out it's worth $1.2 million because it's the missing piece from a medieval chessboard made of walrus ivory. Mm. The chessboard was found in the 1800s, but it was missing five pieces until this one was presented in 2019. Okay. All right. You know what I thought you were going to say? What's that? (laughs) Just in case you're interested. I thought for some reason you were going to say like... It belonged to Napoleon. Oh, yeah, something. that would be interesting. Yeah. No. He was a big chess player, I think. Oh, is that right? Mm. So that's a 20 million percent profit. <laughs> that's pretty good. The Declaration of Independence. 2.42 million. I'm sorry? The Declaration of Independence. Okay. And actually, I thought it would go for more than 2.42 million. That seems small to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. But this one really blows my mind. So this guy goes to a flea market in 1989 and buys a painting for $4. What was going on in the 80s? In the 80s? Yeah. Just a wild time. Okay. When he got it home, he was looking at a tear in the canvas and upon further inspection, stumbled on one of 500 original copies from the first printing of the Declaration of Independence in 1776. Sotheby's sold it in 1991 for $2.42 million dollars. According to a statement from a Sotheby's spokesperson, that was the highest price ever fetched for a piece of American history. Well, so, I mean, I think between that and thinking about inflation since then, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's probably a pretty penny. And it was a 60 million percent profit <clears throat> for that guy. Yeah, it's not too bad. <laughs> okay. So we need to be doing some, like, antiquing. That's what it, something. I mean, that's what it is. And yeah. you buy a lot of crap and hope you end up with the one like this. Uh, which is the world's largest natural pearl. It's the last one on our list, and it's $100 million. Um, so this one also is kind of crazy. Wait a second. You know the size? I do. Can uh, I guess the size? Sure. Is it like this? Is it like the size of like a baseball or something? Uh, I'm always throwing you I think it's balls. bigger than that. What? Hold on. We'll get to it. Okay, okay. So according to a local report, a man in his Philippines got his anchor stuck on a giant clam, as one does. So, naturally, he swam down to dislodge the anchor. And in the process, he found a pearl measuring one foot wide and... Definitely larger than a baseball. 2.2 feet long. (laughs) It weighs 75 pounds. Doesn't that just make you terrified of, like, what the world used to be like? Yeah. Because there had to be something big enough to hold that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he kept it as a good luck token, which is kind of ironic um, because his house was his house was destroyed by a fire. So he gave it to his aunt after that. 
Um, it's reported that if they're able to authenticate it, it hasn't been fully authenticated, but if they're able to, it would be worth $100 million. That's a hundred million percent profit since he found it. I'm sorry. When did this happen? Uh, recently. I, okay. I didn't write it down. Within the last few years. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Um, anyhow, at any rate, this has been this week's Extra Sugar. <laughs>